Praise be to God. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Father, for this grand and glorious opportunity to come together around your word. We thank you, Father, that you have given us a place to come and worship where the church can gather together in this building that we have uh, sanctified for the purpose of meeting and praising you and blessing you and training and growing up together in the things of God. And so we just bless you for it, Father. We thank you for your uh, your people that are here today. We bless them in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you most of all for the precious Holy Spirit who lives and abides within every believer. And Lord, that he just makes us more than we ever could be. And we thank you, Lord, that we will complete the work that you have called us to do. And we thank you for it. We bless you. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. So, Here's what, uh, let's just get right into it, praise God. Here's what we're gonna be talking about until we finish, you know, Lord, change our course here. And, and, and we're talking about back to the basics, back to the basics. One of the things that I'm finding as I travel and, and just talk to believers uh, all around as a whole is many times people don't have a, a solid foundation of who they are as a child of God and what it really means to be a Christian. A Christian. There are people that believe, let's just talk about here, uh, not here specifically in this, in this body, but that may be the case too. But there are people that believe that because they are an American that they are Christian. Because America was founded on Judeo-Christian uh, principles and we have been called a Christian nation by our founders, by the chief justice and on and on. And, and all onlookers have called us a Christian nation because that's, that's who came and founded this nation. That's why we were founded. Praise God. That's the existence of the First Amendment. That's people came. They want to be able to worship God freely. But how many of you know that if, if just being in America makes you a Christian, it's, it's no different you know, you, you parked your car in the garage, but you can't go and park yourself in the garage and call yourself a car. It doesn't work. So we need to know uh, who we are. We need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it. This is why so many other religions are able to uh, siphon Christians out of the body and into their false religions because they teach very strong doctrine and they will pick one piece of one part or one half of one quarter of some little something and they can find that one or two scriptures and show you where you're wrong in yours and, 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 and it's out of context and yes the way they say it will be correct but it's totally out of context totally out of context and that's because, uh, uh, you know, this generation, not, not just this generation, but since we're in this generation, we, we, uh, we're the, I don't know, we're past the microwave. What are we now? Uh, you know, instant. Pudding is too slow. That, I mean, you know, uh, they got grits. Used to get, they had the old-fashioned grits. Y'all remember that? Then they had the quick grits. We're cooking cooks in five minutes. Then I was looking on the shelf the other day, it's down to two minutes. And I was like, man, do I want to eat that? Do you want to eat that? The thing is down to two minutes. 
And so I think the mindset of many believers is the same thing. You know, I read one scripture and he's like, all right, God, got it. Pour it on me. Just lay it on me. Throw it on me. And he said, but you didn't, you didn't do the other 10 things in front of that. Yeah, no, no. I just went to the back of the book. You know, we say we read the back of the book. We win. That is true. Overall. You know why? Because God has secured that victory. Do you know how many battles George Washington lost before we finally won the war? Battle after battle after battle. In World War II, in the Pacific, we lost, we didn't win, a, I don't think we won a single battle the first six months. We just got whooped all over the Pacific. But guess what? We kept fighting. We kept fighting. And, and their industrial war machine could not keep up with our industrial war machine. And while they were looking to a man on a mountain, we were looking to God in heaven. You see, same thing happened with George Washington. You read, and, and they were talking about George Washington would lose a battle. They get back up, they'd retreat, they go back and fight again, they lose another battle, and they just kept doing it. And the British just got, you could say it like this, they just wore them down. It wore them out. And Corn, finally Cornwallis said, I just can't do this anymore. So how, how long are you willing to fight? Glory to God. So here, we're going to start. Now, Hebrews chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 6, let's read that again. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he what is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. Now, you could go four or five different ways off of this one verse here, maybe 15 to 20 different ways. But we're looking at this one part. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. So, so what, here's, here's where we're going to start our, our, first, our first topic on back to the basics is two words. God is. You, we, we, he says you must believe that God is. And, and, and today you have so many people who are, they don't necessarily, I guess they're really, they're not atheists. But the, the crowd of agnostics is growing. Atheism is growing, it's growing a little bit, but agnosticism, the belief that if God exists, he really doesn't get involved with our affairs. And so that crowd is growing. And why is it? Because the church doesn't seem to have answers. And what's the one big, big question? If God exists, why all this bad stuff happened? And then the church now, <clears throat> this, this doctrine of, uh, you know, that uh, God is in charge is permeating the church. And it's like, well, God is doing it. God is in charge. Why are you asking me? I mean, what's the problem? God is in charge. And, and, and so people are saying, if your God is in charge of all this stuff here, I don't want anything to do with it. 
I would, it, let me tell you something. If, if I were to believe that, that doctrine, I, I'd just say, I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then the other part, it exempts us from any responsibility ourselves. You think God is in charge and will allow tornadoes to tear up whole things and hundreds of people get killed, babies, children, innocent children? Raping, 63 million babies aborted and God is in charge? No, that was Supreme Court made that decision. You think God would, uh, if God was in charge, he would allow for all this human trafficking? Come on. If he was in charge. So we're going to look at all that. And we're going to get it in detail. We're going to get it in detail because that type of, of, of apathy, that type of, of, of just, you know, abdicating our responsibility. Well, it's not, it's not me. It's God. I mean, God is doing this. You know, if we had no part in our responsibility, why would he tell us to pray? Why would he tell us to take authority over this? Why would he tell us to go do this and go? It, why? If there's nothing we can do about anything, if Jesus is our example, I'm going to go a little, I'm going to go extreme with you right off the bat. If Jesus is our example, and we look at all the things that he did, let's do one particular. They're on the boat. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. A storm arises, and, they, and Jesus is in the bow of the ship asleep on the pillow, as the scripture says. And he's sleeping good. He's been working. I mean, Jesus, Jesus worked. And they began to scream because the storm is getting really bad. Jesus, go wake Jesus up, because we are about to perish. And the guy goes down and said, Jesus, wake up. Don't you even care? So if God is in control, it really seems like he doesn't care. With all this stuff going on. I mean, it was just, it wasn't 12 hours into the new year. Little Rock reports his first murder of the year. God is in charge. Jesus gets up, stands out on the deck of the ship, and says to the storm, Peace, be still. In other words, he's just like you do a child. Shh. And the storm goes. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, got it, boys. I'm going back to sleep. You need me again? Wake me up. And goes back and gets on the pillow and snores all the way to the shore. Is that what happened? No. What happened? He was, he was angry with them. Because they woke him up? Not because they woke him up. He looked at them and said, why didn't you do that? You have the same authority that I have. Remember, Jesus came as a man. Filled with the spirit, just like we are. Men. You're born again, you're filled with the spirit. He had given them authority. And so he's saying, why 
did not you do what I just did? And you know what the answer was? What kind of man is that? That even the winds and the sea obey him. And what was Jesus saying to them? It will obey you. If you should say to this sycamine tree, y'all remember that? Be thou uprooted and cast yourself into the sea. He said, it would, it should obey you. But what was the problem? <laughs> like, man, it's not going to obey me. So there are things that we don't even attempt because we don't know who we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus was upset with them because they should have spoken to the storm themselves. But what were they saying? Jesus in charge. Jesus in charge. Jesus in charge. Jesus in charge. Jesus, we got all these people out here need to be fed. And the scripture says, Jesus, Jesus said, well, what are you going to do about it? And it says he already knew what he would do. What did he expect them to do? He expected them to do something. They kept running to him. Jesus, this is what's wrong. And Jesus said, finally he says, how long have y'all been with me? How long have you been with me? You still haven't figured it out? And so when we get back to the basics and, and, and we look at these things in detail and we see that we know God is supremely in charge over everything. But he's delegated these things to us in this earth. What, what he laid out from beginning to end is going right at his, as his clockwork. Boom, boom, boom. We know that. But God, you know, he wants us to do the things just like if you have children. Train up a child in the way they should go that when they're old they will not depart from it. So we train up our children to eventually become independent of us, meaning not to need us, but to want to, at the same time, be with us out of relationship. Out of relationship. Okay? Who, who, who wants, this is my mother right here, sitting over there. I mean, what would it be like? I'm, 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 uh, I'm 59 years old. I'll be 60 uh, in about how many days? Five days. And I'm still asking mom, can I go to the store, mom? Mom, can I go to the store? Can I ride my bike when I finish my homework? And somebody heard me doing that. I said, oh, oh, he's, he's uh, mentally retarded. To retard means, you know, not operating at that capacity. I, I, they was like, yeah, he's, he's 60 years old, but he's got the mind of a, you know, three or four-year-old. You don't think God thinks the same thing? My church is 2,000 years old, but they got the mindset... So we have to understand how to answer these questions. All right, let's go to, while we're already back here, go to uh, uh, psh, Revelations 22. Revelation 22 and 13. Because this first one, we're talking about God is. 
Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Revelations 22 in verse 13. And, and Jesus says, I am the Alpha, the first, and I am and Omega, last. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. I love it. Hallelujah. Genesis 1, well, on the way, stop at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 1. Hallelujah. Because we're talking about God is. We're going to look at three, three things about this God is. Three things that prove that God is. Now, verse John chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning, I love it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. <laughs> all things, verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Glory to God. Now Genesis 1, 1. We'll see the same words here again. Partial. In the beginning, God. Ow, man. You know, all these arguments about how old the universe is, how old the earth is, how old this is, how old that is. I, said, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is whenever this beginning was, God was already there. That I know. And, you know, we have all these, uh, these, these scientific models that show this and, and show the half-life of this and the whole life of that and on and on and on and the crustaceans and all and all. And that's wonderful. That's great. That's good, good stuff to study. It's wonderful. It's fine. But when you get through with all that, God was there. And, and you know... The word of God tells us that we know how. We know in part. So that means there's a part we don't know. And I'm okay with that. Because we know enough to be assured of who God is and that he is the creator of all things. We know, we know, we know enough of that. Praise God. And so we want to be able to understand that God is and that he alone is God, and he exists without the help or aid or dependency of anyone or anything else, and because he is God, everything and everyone depends on him for their existence. That we know. Everything depends on him. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that is made. Look at, well, I'm, I'm just going to read this. You don't have to turn there. Colossians it says, as uh, 117 states, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Consist or they are held together by him. Hebrew talk, Hebrews talks about that he holds everything together with his word. And that's the way we're to operate. To hold everything together by his word. You, you know, think about this. <clears throat> the word of God says, cast out the scorner 
and strife will cease. Talking about everything's held together by the word. So you have people that are great friends, getting along, everything is good, and then here comes a scorner. And they start spreading rumors. And the group breaks up. Words can heal, words can kill. God spoke. And this, this is why God has to measure everything he says. Because if he says it, that's it. You say, what color is the sky? You say, well, it's blue. And if you ask God, what color is the sky? And he says, it's orange or it's purple or it's green or it's pink. He said, God, no, the sky is blue. And God says, look again. And the sky will be whatever color God said. Because whatever comes out of his mouth happens. And he wants us to be like him. And remember I said God measures his word? That was a time when God just didn't say anything because he was upset. He didn't say anything for 400 years. Think about it. Between Malachi, close Malachi, open to Matthew, 400 years, God never says a word. And, and to an eternal being, a day with the Lord says a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. I haven't measured out how long, you know, 400 years is. It's probably three or four hours or something like that. I don't, I haven't measured it out. But, I mean, it's like God just took the afternoon off. I'm not going to talk to y'all. And we don't hear from God for 400 years. One of the last thing he said, Malachi, uh, in chapter three, he says, if I had not made a covenant with your fathers, I'd kill all of you. <laughs> so I know he was upset. He says, because I, I told your fathers that, that, you know, you'd be here forever. That's the only reason I don't kill you. So he said, I just won't say anything else. And he just doesn't talk. Because whatever he says, it's come to pass. Hallelujah. And if we catch on to that ourselves, we can get more results. All right. So, so we want to be sure that we understand that God exists. That's the first step, that he exists. And there are three laws that we're going to present that will apply to anyone at any place, at any time, in any era in history. We're going to look at these three laws. And that, 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 these, that, let me talk about this one. The law, and this won't be part of it, but there's a law called the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction. It is an excellent tool that we're going to use for this topic. Because here it is. And it simply states this. That contradictory or opposite claims cannot be both true at the same time cannot be both true at the same time. Islam, in uh, the Quran, it talks about Jesus, that he is a good man, he's a prophet. And there are other religions acknowledge that Jesus is a good man and he did good and on and on and on. Yet they will not acknowledge that he is the, he is the son of God, big S. But they say he was a good man though. Wait a minute, hold up. Jesus said of himself. Now, we can all agree with what they said, correct? That Jesus is a good man, 
He went about, he did good. The Bible says he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He did all those things are true. Everything they said about Jesus was true, except for, but they say, but he's not the, you know, the son of God. You know, our guy is the big guy. Yeah, yeah, y'all guys are good guy. Okay, but wait a minute, hold up, hold up. Jesus said of himself that he is the son of God. He says he's the only way to the father. They said, no, no, you go to this way here. He said, Jesus said of himself, he is the only way to the father. In him is everlasting life. Now, the, the law of non-contradiction, Jesus can't be both of these. Good men don't lie. Jesus is either who he says he is, or he is a stark, raven, mad lunatic who should not be trusted with anybody. Because you can't be a good man and then tell all these fantastic lies over here. That's a contradiction. That is a contradiction. You can't have both. So which one is he? So you can't say nice things about me and, uh, and say, yeah, pastor, he's a good pastor. And, you know, he loves his wife and, and all that, you know. And then you turn around and say, yeah, yeah, he, he's a good pastor. And, you know, he's a great man and all, and all, and all. He just cheats on his wife and, you know, steals the church money. It's, it's almost in foreclosure. <laughs> Come on. You, wait a minute. If a joker is cheating on his wife, I want to hear anything he got to say, especially in the pulpit. Because he's a scoundrel. He's still in church money, same thing. I don't want anything he got to say. He's a scoundrel. He can't have both. So that's the law of non-contradictory. So Jesus either is who he says he is, or he is a liar. And that may sound strong to you, but Jesus, that's, no, that's, that's no problem for Jesus. Hallelujah. So let's look at this first First law is called, and it is the law of nature. The law of nature. And the law of nature is this. Every seed produces after its own kind. This is the, the law, of, that's, that's called the law of Genesis. Or you can also call it the law of nature. This undeniable structure and order presents itself to every man, to, to every man, Every time he looks at a star at night, when we look up at the sky, we know what those constellations are. We've named them. I mean, every child, uh, when we were growing up, knew what the Big Dipper and Little Dipper was. You may not know anything else, but you knew those two constellations. And guess what? They were there when we were kids, and they're still there now. This, this, this law of nature. And so these, these, uh, these things that God do, and then uh, that we see all the time that no one can deny that there's order to the universe. When we see this order in the universe. Let's go to Genesis chapter one. Hallelujah. So everything God made, man can clearly see his invisible qualities through his creation. We can see his eternal power. And it doesn't matter how remote a tribe may be, 
in the deepest part of the jungle, they know that someone or something put this earth together and, and that same being is apparently still keeping it together. They know that. I mean, you, they find tribes that, that have, nobody knew existed and they have some type of worship. They're worshiping, you know, the animals they're thankful for that, you know, uh, there's, there's some kind of worship is going on. Rarely ever, 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 ever will you find, like, a, again, a, a tribe that doesn't believe in a spiritual world. You have to get sophisticated and real educated to not believe that there's a spiritual world. Someone has to teach that out of you. Because you know, you know it exists. You know it exists. So think about this. Before the modern microscopes, the cell was thought to be a very simple organism. They thought it was thought to be very simple and could over a period of time change. And that's called evolution. Darwin. That it could change into a higher being. And this belief has been completely proven false by technology. Notice, God never changes. He doesn't change anything. It's as man advances in technology, in technology, he continues to line up more and more with the word of God. Because again, the sale, whatever that magnification was, what is that thing? And of course, you know, somebody says sale, but that's all they could see. They couldn't see the nucleus and all those other parts that I forgot about that are in the cell. What's some other parts of the cell? You got the cell wall, the membrane. Yeah, what, what else? Come on, come on, folks. We ain't been out of school that long. <laughs> so I said, yes, we have. <laughs> all right, all right. I thought I had a really sharp crowd here. Back to myself again. So this, this cell is a very complex organ made up of many complex organs. I, I love Psalms, what is it, 139? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. So we see the end results of God's handiwork with our naked eye, but there is much more to creating life than we have discovered. Than we have discovered. However, nature presents enough enough to us that we have, listen, no excuse for not acknowledging the existence of God. All right, Genesis 1, 21, you make it there. God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, remember, after their kind, every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. This after his kind, after his kind, after his kind. Man looks exactly in form the way he, today, the way he looked in the Garden of Eden. In form. The only thing you won't find on Adam and Eve is a belly button. That's it. They didn't have one. That, un that unbiblical cord is attached. Why? Because they were first created. God blessed them, verse 22, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. And see, this is why these unnatural things, homosexuality, there's no being fruitful and multiplying with that. 
It is completely antithetical to the word of God. In every order, it's against natural law, it's against moral law, and it used to be against the civil law and criminal law. That's just changed in the last 10 years. What was I at? Multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, after his kind, after his kind. And cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Hallelujah. So everything that God made, it was good. Hallelujah. Now, Romans 1 and 20 says this from the Living Translation, New Living Translation. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Nobody on the face of this earth will have an excuse for not knowing God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Matthew, Matthew 10, oh, let's, let's turn there, Matthew 10 and verse 28. And 29. Let's go there. Hallelujah. And let's look at some, something real quick here. No excuse, friends. I mean, you think about, um, you know, we talk about how blessed America is. And the more blessed you are, the more uh, the judgment will fall. Because, you know, we got this Bible right here. Most people got one of these phones right here. You got all, you got Bible apps. We got Bible this, we got Bible that. You know, we got books written on the Bible. We got commentaries, we got churches. Used to be, we say on every corner. My wife, when she moved, first moved down here uh, back in 1995, she called her sister and she, she said, you wouldn't believe how many, she's from Maryland. You know, there were the heathens up that way, more heathens up that way. <laughs> and uh, she said, you wouldn't believe how many churches there are down here. She says, there are churches on every corner. Is that what you said? Churches on every corner? Yeah, we like our churches down here. We just don't, you know, do much in them sometimes. All right, verse 28, Matthew 10, 28. Listen at this. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And are, it's not and, excuse me, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. God is involved in every single thing. He know, he, he is omniscient. He says a sparrow doesn't even die without him knowing it. An ant that we wouldn't even think about, we wouldn't even give thought to, doesn't die without him knowing it. 
No, 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 no single cell organism dies without him knowing it. Hallelujah. Because he put that life into every little thing. Luke, Luke chapter 12. Shoot over to Luke chapter 12. Hallelujah. See this basic stuff, friends, that we've got to get, we got to get this basic back down again. We got the, you know, uh, the, uh, what do you call them? Cliches down. We got all the cliches down. We got all the church talk down. But can we talk to people who don't know our, our lingo and convince them that we are right and they need Jesus? This is what it's all about. But if we don't even know and they're telling us more about the Bible than what we know, we have a problem. All right, Luke 12, verse started, verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Man, Solomon had some tough outfits. Hmm? It seems that everything Solomon wore, ate out of, drunk out of, sit on, slept in, rode in, had some gold in it. His throne. Imagine a throne. This, this the throne is a chair. And, and, and it's got a big round back. And it's made out of ivory. You know, like ivory. And then you got gold overlaying it. His, his cha- chassels, his, his drinking cup, pure gold. His, his clothes, threads of gold. His slippers, laced with gold. Hmm? And, it, and, and they had so much gold that they didn't even have time to count the silver. The gold was coming in. Whew. Think about that. I mean, you think about that. Look, look, just somebody say, don't put any more ones and fives and tens and twenties in here. We, look, if it's not a 50, just keep it. If it's not a $50 bill, and $100 bill, just keep it. Or put it over there in that pile over there. We'll get to it next year sometime. We're just running behind. We've got to put on another shift to count money. You know, you can run out of town for talking like that. But yet, the Bible says that they just stacked the gold. They just made a, a, a pile and just threw the silver on the pile and got back over there to the gold account. So God had no problem with that. But he says here that even the lilies of the field were more arrayed than Solomon. Nature, the law of nature. God, think about that. And then verse 28. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Oh my God. Mm-mm. This next law. So that's the law of nature. The next law is the law.